The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We ask that you would speak to us this morning and lead us deeper into the knowledge of the love that you have for us in Christ's name. Amen. Wonderful to have you with us this morning. If you're new or visiting, my name is Dave Larley. I'm one of the priests here. And uh, we've been... Um, for the first time in a long time, uh, going through John in this uh, season of Lent. And um, three weeks ago, we looked at the interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. And the conversation there was all about how do you see the kingdom of God, and then how do you enter it? Last week was the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, and there the conversation was all about what does worship look like, <coughs> forgive me, and what is the gift that Jesus is bringing to us. Surprise was the gift is the giver himself, um, which only Jesus can make because if I were to come and bring you a gift for 
Well, today's Mothering Sunday, Mother's Day in, in England, and so we gave Rachel, who is British, she gets two Mother's Days, um, you know, here's your gift, here I am, you know, doesn't really work, so we, we gave her something else instead. But Jesus says the gift that he has to give is God himself. And this morning, as we look at the man born blind, we have one of the most spectacular cases of deconstruction in all of scripture. I was talking to a friend of mine who's an artist and a member here at St. Bart's, Glenn Gautier, who practices a form of art where he makes collages. Now, when I thought of collage, I thought, you know, scrapbooking and, you know, but what he does is he takes things and he cuts them and, t- and really disassembles them and then reassembles them in a different order to make them beautiful. And this is what Jesus is going to do with the man born blind. Now we had our first reading, which was the most incredible, I can't say that, was not the most incredible verses from the Old Testament, but they are incredible verses of the Old Testament. And the purpose we see in that reading is this, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. The man born blind did not receive this message. Something went wrong and how the religion, religious establishment went on. And, and we have here is that the, those who see, who are meant to see this truth have become blind, but the blind have incredible sight. Uh, if you know John's gospel, you know there are seven signs or seven mighty deeds that Jesus performs. And there are also seven I am statements. And so as you go through John, as we've been going through John's, we see that the mighty deeds of Jesus illustrate his mighty words. And that the, might, the gracious words of Jesus explain the mighty deeds. And so this man who was born blind didn't have sight and then lose it because of an accident. He was born without light in his eyes. And so what we're going to see in just a moment is why does Jesus say, I am the light of the world? Well, because he is. But also what he does is he brings light into the darkness of this man's eyes as an illustration to what he is calling the people of Israel to do is to open up their eyes and see with clear eyes what it is that he is doing. And so if you know John chapter nine at all, if you have your Bible with you, do open it. If not, your, uh, your bulletin will help. Um, and what we have here is Jesus and his disciples, as they were prone to do, were walking through the town. And they pass a man born blind from birth. And so this man was new to them. And you know, usually beggars in the streets of an urban city have their patch and they guard it fiercely. And, uh, and so it would be common to, to know the people who are there. And um, his disciples, as they walk by, decide to pick up a hot potato, a theological hot potato. They're, they're always there. And they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? When things go wrong, when we suffer, that is a normal place to go. 
The twist, theologically, is that God will bless us because we're gifted. And as long as we're gifted, he will bless us. And if something goes wrong, then we've done something wrong. And for whatever reason, the judgment of God has come upon us. It's true back then. It's a conversation I had in my kitchen yesterday afternoon with someone who's suffering. And it's perpetuated everywhere we go because we don't understand why bad things can happen. And so the top of this chapter and the back of the, and the bottom half of this chapter tell us that what Jesus is addressing by saying, I am the light of the world, is he is addressing the issue of judgment. When things go wrong, as I said, it's natural for people to think that they deserve and assume what's, uh, that what has happened is some form of punishment. And many people today have this, and it doesn't matter, I've seen it in Canada, I've seen it in England, I've seen it in the Bible Belt. Many people today have a distorted view of God where they believe that when something goes wrong, God is punishing them. And it simply isn't true. It simply isn't true. The cross is the absolute climax of the scriptures. Everything before the cross points towards it. Everything that happens after the cross seeks to help us to understand it. Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. And not once did Jesus make someone sick to punish them. Quite the opposite. Jesus took our punishment so that we could live freely without the fear of punishment. So verse three, look down with me. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus answers, in fact, the same as the answer at the death of his friend Lazarus. This has happened so that the work of God might be displayed in this life. So let's think about this, what is the work of God? What is the work of Jesus? It's to bring life, light, grace, and mercy in a vehicle of kindness. Because Jesus is incredibly kind to this man born blind. And then Jesus sets out deliberately and provocatively to break the Sabbath. It's fascinating. We, the uh, the um, research has been done. They think that he's in Judea right now. And the Judean Pharisees are all about form over substance. Just, just do everything right. We may disagree on what's actually happened, but just do it right. Just don't break the Sabbath. Because if we follow the Sabbath, we'll be right with God, which is a classical misunderstanding of Sabbath because Sabbath is given to us to help us recover to accept our limitations, and to be restored by God. So Jesus makes a mud pack. A couple of reasons. The first reason is it would be considered work. Second reason, who was here on Ash Wednesday? Yeah, okay, number, if you weren't, it's all right. You may have gone somewhere else. What happened on Ash Wednesday? You came up and... Ashes or dirt were placed on your forehead and the curse from Genesis was said to you, from dust you came and to dust you shall return. 
but the curse was said as the shape of the cross was placed on your forehead, which is a reminder to us that the curse of Genesis 1 has been broken by Jesus. And so what does Jesus do? He spits in mud. Jesus doesn't need to spit in mud to heal people. He can just, you know, do it. But he intentionally does it this way, spits in the mud, makes a mud pack, puts it on the blind guy's eyes, breaks the Sabbath, but also in a very powerful symbol, does it as a sign that he is redeeming the curse of Adam. And he puts it on the man and sends him to wash in the pool of Siloam. And what comes next is the record of five interviews. Five interviews. And in verses 8 to 12, which you have there, we have, um, this is where the Greek is helpful. Disclaimer, I skipped Greek in seminary to play rugby. Right? So I've had to go to experts. So I'm not relying on my own Greek translation. Um, But the Greek here, if you look at it, is staccato which means that everything is happening very quickly. And it's meant to convey the sense that everyone is speaking at once. And in verse 11, we see that the man born blind is an excellent witness, though he, which is a play on words because he can't be an eyewitness because he was blind. All right, so he says, he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Well, that's not good enough. And now these aren't his neighbors, like his buddies. These are the people, the shopkeepers, the people who have had to deal with him and put up with him probably in the same vicinity of the town. And so they said to him, where is he? He says, I do not know. And they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Then we have our second interview. The Pharisees are angry because this all happened on the Sabbath. Their elevation of form meant that they can't see that the blessing, the blessing has suddenly come on this man and he's been marked by the blessing of God because in the Old Testament, to understand blessing was that the fullness of God was upon the person. And so think about this, they're so caught up with their observance of religious form, they can't see that the actual answer to their prayers has happened. And it's staring at them right, literally staring at them in the face with eyes that can see. And so Jesus divides the Pharisees and the timing offended them and the offense keeps them from seeing what happened. And we have suddenly in this group of Pharisees two camps, you've got the traditionalists and the realists. The traditionalists are like, this Jesus cannot be from God and the realist says, well, Nobody can do this unless they're from God, so what's actually going on? And they refuse to believe the obvious. They assume that this isn't the man who used to be blind. And in verse 18, they call in the parents. And this is religion at its worst. And uh, sadly, it still happens today. Now the Jewish religious leaders refused to believe that he had been blind and had gained his sight until at last they summoned the parents of the man who, dis- who had become able to see. And they asked the parents, is this your son whom you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? So his parents replied, we know that this is our son and that he, is, he was born blind. But we do not know how he is now able to see, nor do we know who caused him to see. Ask him. He is a mature adult. He will speak for himself. 
verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish religious leaders. For the Jewish leaders had already agreed that anyone who'd confessed Jesus to be the Christ will be put out of the synagogue. And the Greek there is excommunicated. Now, when you live in a city like Dallas and a church excommunicates you, you have other options. I've not heard of excommunications recently, but you know, when you're in a small town where there is one place to worship and you're excommunicated, it means that the community sees you as dead and you're you become an outcast, a complete social and spiritual, physical outcast. So the parents are facing real danger and, and so they cower to this fear of judgment and they hand over their son and say, he is at least 18, he can answer for himself. And then the humor comes in, uh, which is interesting to see that, you know, the man born blind doesn't engage in any of the theological arguments, but he sticks to what he knows. Verse 24, they try to get him to recant, then verse 24, he says, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They're trying to get him to, to say that Jesus isn't who he says he is. This man who can't read because he's been blind his whole life, does not have a theological backbone that compares to those around him, yet they find it very easy, they, they can't, they find, they find it very difficult to catch him out. And he just sticks to one simple thing. Look, I can't answer your questions, but I was once blind and now I see. So he gets badgered a bit more and then responds, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? He knew full well they didn't want to be his disciples. And it goes on a bit further, and it's just worth noting this. Um, why do you want to hear it again? You people don't want to become his disciples too, do you? They heaped insults on him saying, you are his disciple, we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. We do not know where this man comes from. The man replied, this is a remarkable thing that you don't know where he comes from and yet he caused me to see. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners but if anyone is devout and does his will, God listens to him. Never before has anyone heard of someone causing a man born blind to see. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They replied, you were born completely in sinfulness and yet you presume to teach us. So they threw him out. And then the last moment, the last interview, is we see the compassion of Jesus. Because it's, all of this would have spread throughout the town. And so what does Jesus do? In verse 38, 35, Jesus goes and finds the man born blind because the man born blind would not have been able to pick him out of a lineup. All right, so the man born blind still has never seen Jesus. He's just had this encounter. And so Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, so, they f so he found the man and said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man replied, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus told him, you have seen him, he is the one speaking with you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. 
And here's the point. For ju- Jesus said, for judgment I've come into this world so that those who do not see may gain their sight and the ones who see may become blind. It's the first and only place where it's recorded in John's gospel that a man worships another man. We've got all, you can check the translation, but everywhere else it says that, and they worshiped God. But here we have the man born blind worshiping Jesus, another man. And so John chapter nine shows us a number of things. It shows us how Jesus is revealed. The man born blind is healed of his, of his physical blindness, and then with every confrontation, every time he has to tell the story, his belief deepens. And so it begins in verse 11 that he says, it's the man they call Jesus. Verse 17, he is a prophet. Verse 33, he's from God. Verse 38, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. It's an incredible progression. And the question it asks us is, are we worshiping him? Not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the whole week? Is it a seven day a week endeavor at work, at home? Or have we compartmentalized our life so that Jesus has Sunday morning? That's the question, that one of the questions looking at us. The other issue is one of suffering. Suffering is not the sign of God's judgment today. It isn't. Jesus makes exactly this point. Very occasionally, our suffering is the result of our sin. The alcoholic who suffers from liver failure has worked to get there. But even then, it would be the heart of Jesus to meet him in that place or her. The great lesson about suffering in John 9 is that when the darkness of suffering comes, it's not a sign of judgment, but rather the posture that God takes is that of drawing near to bring light into that darkness. In his mercy, the isolation and the pain is lessened by his grace, mercy, and love as his light invades the darkness. It also tells us something about prayer. Any of you with any Scottish sympathies will like this. Mary, Queen of Scots, once said that she feared the prayers of John Knox more than any army in Europe because when he prayed, things happened that she could not control. We have a lesson to learn in prayer here. The prayers of Jesus were powerful and effective. And our prayers are powerful and effective. Um, A year ago, uh, some of you will know, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which is um, a disease that affects the digestion. And so I've become quite accustomed to talking to people about their digestion. And it happens at the most interesting of places. And I was recently at a social gathering and a um, woman came up to me, nothing related to here, so I'm not betraying any confidence. and uh, she was obviously upset, and I said, oh, is everything all right? You know, can I pray for you? And she said, yes, that would be lovely. I said, well, how can I pray? She said, I haven't had a bowel movement in three weeks. And I was like, 
okay, well, I'm definitely not going to pray, Lord, would you heal her now? <laughs> so, and I actually didn't really know how to pray. I was like, should we move over to the bathroom? You know, because, you know, suddenly, you know, you know the, the word suddenly appears in Mark's gospel 33 times, right? So, you, you know, just... Thankfully, I was reading John. So anyway, I said, okay, well, let's, let's just pray. Let's, let's see. And I just, you know, I kept my eyes open because I wanted to avoid any uh, social awkwardness. And uh, I, I, I just invited the Lord's presence, like we're going to show you in a moment. I said, Lord, thank you that you're here. Would you bless this woman? And I had the weirdest thought go through my mind that did not pertain to digestion, which I said, I said are you withholding? And she looked up like she'd been hit with a stick. And she said, what do you mean? I says, uh, that's just what came to mind. She says, you know, when people hurt me or say things, I withhold. I withdraw my affection, my attention, my tenderness. I said, okay. Well, I don't know if this is related because I'm not a medical doctor, but I think you need to just ask the Lord to forgive you for withholding. And, um, and so she did, and we prayed, and I said, Lord... In a suitable time, <laughs> would you restore this woman's digestion? Anyway, she left suddenly after that. And um, I have no idea what happened. I've never seen her again. But I think the two are connected. Or maybe not. But either way, it's interesting, isn't it? So what we're going to do is... Uh, we see that it's the Holy Spirit that leads us and enables us to be a follower of Jesus and to do the works that he did. In our work, we have no power in our own, of our own ability to heal or do anything that Jesus did. Our role is simply to represent Jesus. What did Jesus come to do? Well, in this passage, I am the light of the world. We are to shine light. And often, what we've done throughout the years here and at All Saints and in England is that whenever the passage addresses Jesus praying for healing, we pray for healing. And so in a moment, we're going to pray for healing. But we're going to do it in a very specific way because we don't want to be naive and we don't want to do things in a way that where we're playing with power and leave room for people to, um, in a place of vulnerability, be taken advantage of. And so I'm gonna lead you in a very specific way how to do it, which will make it safe. And um, if you are in a, a place where you would like prayer, of he prayer for healing, but you don't wanna receive prayer, you don't have to. There's, there's no shoulds. You see, we have two options. We can lower the standard of scripture to meet our experience, or we can see the standard of scripture as is depicted to us by Jesus, and seek to raise our experience to the standard of Scripture as he calls us into a living faith. Now, before we do it, a few pointers. If someone is sick, they're suffering. Look at what Jesus expected of the man born blind. What did he expect of him in order to be healed? Nothing. Nothing. The man born blind, based on his testimony to the religious elites, did not go to theology, and the commentators suggest that he didn't have any. 
because the only way to learn in that day was to be able to read. And since his eyes never worked, he would never have read, and so he would have just been left to the side. So he, this man, was uneducated. And Jesus expects nothing of him. So you don't have to give the person being prayed for a pep talk. I have had that happen so often where I've gotten to a place now where someone tries to convince me that God might not heal me because this might be for my good where I've just said, please stop and don't make me hurt you. Because it's so offensive. Because when you start to make a case in front of someone who's sick that God may or may not heal you, the whispers of judgment just come in off the back. Now the math is simple. If we never pray for healing, nothing happens. If we pray for healing, sometimes things happen. Why doesn't God heal all the time? I don't know. It's a mystery. And anyone who tries to narrow that mystery and remove the mystery from why some prayers are answered and others aren't for healing is really trying to sell you something they can't. And so to the reason why a lot of churches don't pursue a healing ministry is because the mystery is so uncomfortable. But it calls for a church that is willing to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice to walk alongside those who are suffering, to pray with them in a way that's edifying, and to walk with them even when the prayers are not answered. Praying for healing is about the presence of God doing the work of God, and all we have to do is give him the space to work. So it's not about complicated prayers, it's about keeping it simple, and it's about being kind. Everyone Jesus prayed for had such an encounter with his love that they were changed for eternity. And that is our aim. That the person who is suffering feels loved. Because that love brings light. So the aim is firstly, people encounter the love of God and anything else is up to God. So this is how we're gonna pray. If you would like prayer for anything involving, uh, we're not gonna ask you to share what it is you'd like prayer for just because you know this is between you and God, but we're going to uh, pray in a very specific way. And if you would simply like prayer for healing, maybe it's physical healing, maybe it's emotional, I'm gonna invite you in a moment to stand. And then what I'm gonna invite those of you who are seated to do is to stand up around someone who is asking for prayer and to follow my lead as we pray for them. Does that make sense? Yeah, and then we'll carry on with our service. So if you would like prayer for healing, would you please stand? And it's allergy season, so you know, one of the most powerful prayers I ever prayed was for someone's hay fever. Okay, all right, now to the congregation of the power invested me by the state of Texas. <laughs> I deputize you as the prayer team. So this is what I'm gonna ask you to do. If you are, if you'd like to take part, you could just sit and watch. Would you go and stand next to someone who's currently standing to pray for them? But don't pray just yet. I'm gonna lead you in how to pray. 
So we've got a few down the center here, down at the back. If you would like prayer, just keep a hand, put a hand up so we know who would like to receive prayer. Okay, maybe a few more up front here. Great. Okay, so the first thing you want to do, which is going to sound redundant at this point because you're already near them, is just say, may I pray for you? So why don't you just ask, I know, it's, I know we've already set them up, but may I pray for you? Okay, and hopefully they said yes, otherwise you can go back to your seats. Okay, and the next thing, remember this is, intensity is not a fruit of the Spirit. It isn't, it's strangely amiss, yet we keep trying to put it in there. So this is how we're gonna pray. I'm gonna lead you all the prayer. Now those of you who are about to receive prayer, the expectation is low. Remember, Jesus doesn't expect, expect anything from you, just to receive. Okay, for the rest of us, just as Jesus said to Peter, don't mess this up. That's a joke, that's a joke, there may be more. Okay, so this is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna ask you um, just to either lay a hand on them, on the shoulder, unless they have shoulder pain, in which case don't do that, um, and then just repeat after me, all right? Let's pray together. Come, Holy Spirit. I bless this person's body in the name of Jesus. I ask that you would heal them. Come in power. In Jesus' name. Restore what's been damaged. Renew what's gotten weary. Shine your light in their bodies. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you've received prayer, just take a moment. Sometimes I find praying for healing is like washing your hair. It takes two applications of the shampoo. So we're gonna do it again, okay? I know, I know. All this misdirection. Uh, but let's pray again. If you wanna just put your hand on their shoulders or wherever it is, say, say this with me. Come Holy Spirit. Would you well up within them Come upon them. Bring your healing. Heal what's been broken. Mend what's been strained. Restore what's grown weary. I bless your body in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Do you take a seat? Sometimes um, it takes a while for things to change. Sometimes it happens right away. Sometimes Nothing happens. And again, as part of the church, our goal is to be the body of Jesus, which is to shine light in the darkness. And it's for those who are suffering, it's for them to know that they are loved despite what they're going through. It's to know that they have a place, a community, where they can come and belong even when everything isn't going well. 
And there's nothing like a challenge to your health that is chronic that makes it very difficult to come to church. Because sadly, the church often, because of a misunderstood Jesus, they don't understand Jesus, they convey the message that you're suffering because you've done something. And it's just not true. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so hear this loud and clear. If you're suffering, God is not punishing you. The message of Easter, the message of Lent, is that he so loved the world. He so loved the suffering that he sent his son. That they would not perish, but have eternal life. You may, in this life, receive healing for what is causing this difficulty. You may not. But the constant is a promise that Jesus is with you. And the challenge to those of us who aren't suffering is that Jesus invites us to be his presence amongst the lives of those who are going through difficulty. So let me pray as we close and then we'll carry on with the happy part of the service. It's all happy. Lord Jesus, help us to see you. Help us to reflect the love that you've put on, the wor- put on display for the world to see. Help us to be lights to this world. And for those of us in this community who are suffering in some way, would you lead us as a community to be light and love to them? And would you meet them in their place of need? And we ask all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.